It's been a minute, hasn't it? It's It's been a while. Since our trial. Well, it uh, hasn't, it hasn't. <laughs> yes, it hasn't, it hasn't. Uh, I mean, this is probably the longest we've gone without doing one of these since we started doing them. Yes. While but, also doing another podcast at the same time and also just seeing each other every day. It's true. So <laughs> people, the people out there can get their Chris and Molly fix uh, if they want it. And we certainly get our fix of each other. We certainly do. Yes, we do. Uh, but now we get to go back to our roots. Can you believe it's been 100 episodes? I can. And five years. Wait, five years. Five years? Five years. Did yeah, we, we started start in this in June, t- June 2017. 2017. Yes, I think so. Five Four years. years. Wait, four. <laughs> oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. I've been saying five years in my head. Like, wow, we've been doing this for five years. No, four years. Four years of, <sighs> of tunes, laughs cries stories i tried to leave a tip on a credit card recently and i thought eight plus five was 14 (laughs) like i was doing the the columns yes i think something's really wrong with me and we're gonna have to send you to kumon Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, in therapy, it's Metallica, <laughs> some kind of monster, for our 100th episode. That's right, 100 episodes. Beow, 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 beow. We've decided to return to our roots in hard rock, but instead of looking at its decadent heights, examining it. At its most grinding, tedious, bureaucratic lows. Yes, we're talking about the fantastic 2004 documentary Metallica, Some Kind of Monster. Following the heavy metal Goliaths as they drift aimlessly, tensions high, missing a member, recording an album no one's interested in, including (laughs) themselves, and most hilariously, in full band therapy. And through it, finding one of the most fascinating and intimate portrayals of a rock band ever made. Molly. Wow. Some kind of monster. Some kind of monster. Some kind of, they are the monsters. Is this, they're just jamming in space. Yes. But not the old one, not the new legacy. Yes. The old legacy. The old, this is the old legacy. Uh, Metallica. What, what do you think of Metallica? What's your, what, what is your, your Metallica's relationship? Um, I did not listen to them when I was a, a kid or an adolescent i remember the release of saint anger uh because it was i was that was when i first started listening to 999 the buzz my local alternative rock radio station yes and they definitely i don't even know i don't even remember if they played this as like a what did they play as what was the single off of saint anger saint anger from the album saint anger i they must have played it because it would seem wrong not to but i was aware of the release legally obligated as a rock station at this point to play metallica songs yeah of course um i knew the big songs like the you know the um one about how it's scary to go to bed yes the the biggest one yeah i i know i knew that and i knew the like 
stereotype of Metallica and I knew what everyone like looked like and I knew all their names because mm-hmm. I read Rolling Stone and I remember the release of the movie was a big like everyone was freaking out about it yes because it was so you know so unprecedented but I don't think I truly grasped the uh, severity of their offenses <laughs> the multiplicity <laughs> of the their- multiplicity of their offenses because I wasn't around for like the original I, I didn't have a sense of them as a, a group at the time when they were, one might say, at their peak. peak. Yeah, I mean, I have basically the same uh, opinion or like take on them is that, you know, I started knowing about them basically from the Napster thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was like, because I, I was becoming aware of pop culture around the same time that they were becoming the villains of pop culture. Right. This like powerhouse, uber successful, multi-platinum you know rock band that had already been around over almost 20 years coming out as like this litigious protector or like suing their own fans Mm -hmm. and basically coming into awareness of them as already over the hill in some way and being like this bloated avatar of like corpulent rock not even not even excess in the fun like 80s party way but like corpulent rock greed and and uh um you know corporatism yes uh and then the saint anger thing i remember only being also aware of it as some like an embarrassing thing for them mm-hmm. and then basically writing them off as something that i do, did not need to bother pay no mind list yeah their best days were behind them yeah but now at this point i would put metallica up there as like top bands that i would want to see sure yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I, I would agree. I would also like to see them. Yeah. Um, I, I don't listen to them that much. Yes. <laughs> but I, re- I'm a, I would say I'm a Metallica respecter. Yes. Um, I just, I feel like I never quite, I, I wasn't in the pocket of um, like loving them for what they originally were, which is like kind of, they were like badass at the time. Absolutely. And a, a sort of a breath of fresh air, sort of a change, uh, a, as I understand from the, uh, the those sort of unitard wearing like big hair. Like, I mean, they they had big hair. They had lots of hair, but it wasn't big. Yes. <laughs> it was long, but it wasn't big. Yeah, they were the avatars of like real metal Yes. Uh, in the 80s. And their breakthrough to mm-hmm. be one of the biggest bands in the world in yes. the 90s. I know is like considered a great success right. for that genre of like speed metal or yes. thrash or whatever you want to call it. Crossover thrash. I was looking yeah, yeah. at the uh, Wikipedia article for St. Anger and it described one of the genres as crossover, crossover thrash. thrash. I'm not really sure what I mean, else is in that Metallica category. Metallica is the, is, the, uh, is the champion of crossover thrash. They have crossed over. And they are thrash. And they're thrashing constantly. Uh, yeah, but I think like, I, I hope it doesn't spoil this too much that... Uh, you know, I guess my take is about wanting to see them now and coming up feeling like they were jokes is that they are like absolutely one of these bands that like had to go through this phase of being a joke to come out on the other side of being like a beloved legacy act. Yeah, absolutely. And they are one of my favorite categories of band, which is really struggled with that millennial transition. Yes. Uh, either basically either you were Fred Durst and you were thriving or mm-hmm. everyone else who was trying to surf from 1999 to 2001 yes. had a really hard time. Yes. Uh, you know, we've, we've got our Garth Brookses. <laughs> we've got, you know, I mean, D- Dave Mustaine is also someone <laughs> yes, who, who had a, to speak of other, you know, alumni yes. of Metallica. And I think Metallica, th- this is honestly, this is one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the band midlife crisis that happens at the turn of the millennium. And of course, what makes this documentary so good is that 
you know, no band gave this kind of access to them going through this thing, really yes. going through it. Yes. And a band as, as hard and with as such a reputation as they did to like sign off on this existing yep. and giving this kind of access yep. is, you know, wild. And that's what makes this thing fascinating. So do we want to get into uh, this itself? The, the, the one thing, I guess we can transition to it in this way. I think maybe I'm trying to put my finger on why the uh, significance capital S of such a thing did not hit so hard for us. And I'm wondering if it was because our adolescence was already marked by the onset of reality television. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of being confessional on camera, obviously like, you know, real world was in the nineties, but this was the first like big glut of it was basically when I was in middle school, which is also when the album came out and then uh, the documentary. So the idea of people basically like bleeding out on camera Mm -hmm. was already familiar to me. And because I wasn't, I wasn't shrouded in the mythos of Metallica. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was and now just watching it i'd seen this movie once before Mm -hmm. a few years ago um i was kind of napping a little bit at the same time because i was very tired i'd been to a wedding the night before um you know how these things are but uh it it, watching it again i i think this movie is very interesting yeah and especially if you were like if coming at them as like a metalhead of the 80s and 90s to watch a band behave like this i'm sure was very um I don't know anything from shocking to distressing to uh, outra- outraging. Yes. Uh, just some quick things, I guess, before we also before we get into this, yeah. uh, like along with our priors of not just the band but the movie, and also what sources we're pulling from mm-hmm. uh, for this episode. Sunday night, we're recording on a Wednesday. Sunday night was the first time I had ever seen this movie. I had known that it was like one of the essentials for rock doc and and music enthusiastic. Uh, people forever basically since it came out it's just one of those things that you know the time never came out the the you know never in it was never like on tv at the right time and it's been on and off streaming services forever yeah and like one of the reasons we chose to do this as the 100th episode is just like by luck it happened to pop up yeah on netflix uh, like two weeks ago that thumbnail uh and we were like oh i'd never seen this we had always thought about doing it for an episode and so i we watch it. So Sunday was the first time I had ever seen it after hearing about it for years. And then we're also pulling from uh, somebody, an article somebody posted on our subreddit, yeah. which I'll take this chance to plug, uh, reddit.com slash r slash and introducing. Uh, what is this article, Molly? It's from Playboy. It's an interview from 2001, and I'm trying to load it and it's not working and i don't know who did the interview ah man cite your sources molly notably it interviews everyone in the band at that time which included jason newstead the uh bassist who quickly departs (laughs) basically almost as soon as the movie starts it's it's the inciting incident for the movie it's the inciting incident uh rob tannenbaum for playboy in 2001 and he interviewed everyone separately and then sort of smooshed it together so there is a bit of a rashomon a bit of a rashomon one might say um and there's some tension in this interview which is then you know literally depicted in the movie uh also uh chuck klosterman wrote a an article called band on the couch for the new york times magazine in 2004 when the movie was released that also includes some i think contemporaneous interviews with the The uh the band members the filmmakers etc etc so there are some words here we're not cheating yes we're We're a little we are cheating a little bit we're adding the words to the audio visual content for context and we can do we can do we can do whatever we we want we're done 100 fucking episodes this can be whatever we want podcast isn't about uh uh 
is podcasting isn't about uh conceits or or uh constructs or formats it's about having fun with your friends it's about having fun with your friends the movie it's an interesting structure because it's it's everything's kind of happening at mm-hmm. once in a certain sense um and i think the way they cobbled it together was kind of cool um but i mean yeah the inciting incident is that uh J- jason newstead their bassist who was the uh, replacement of cliff burton who died tragically in a tour bus accident in 1986 i believe in 86 in sweden in sweden he he replaced him and was the basis for i want to say f- was it 15 years yeah something like that he quit after one session with the uh sort of would you say it was label mandated or just kind of like everyone agreed on hiring this therapist i was trying to look into it yeah and it seems both like it seems like label suggested band approved approved. and the therapist's name is phil towel phil towel who had been who's not a licensed therapist or psychiatrist yeah or psychologist or psychologist he's got no he's he's got no certificate i mean he might have certificates on the wall but he doesn't have anything with one of those raised seals that Mm -hmm. is the sign of a really good program but he has somehow managed to build a uh career as being like a professional like success and like operations consultant success win mindset uh for like yeah achieve achievement succeeder for organizations and i saw in some of my reading that he had come off he had just come off his failure to work his magic on a number another one of the high profile rock acts of the late 90s rage Rage against Against the machine Machine. sorry sorry phil can't win them all yes this guy is part of a certain class of guys and i will say it's guys yes that men just wanting you to do your best yes so they bring they <laughs> men wanting you to go your own way, <laughs> but not but not your own way. Yes. leaving the band Metallica, which, as we like to remember on this show, when a band is working, they make a lot of people a lot of money. Yes, it's not just themselves that make themselves a lot of and money. And that is the other theme of this movie: is watching a band, whether they know it or not, slowly grapple with the fact that they are no longer a band. But a company. But a company. Yes. And I would say, you know, we'll get to this in the end. I think they almost do so successfully. But at what cost? Yes. I don't know if now if I should lay my cards on the table now or not, but I'm going to. Uh, Please. My hot take on this is I was kind of led to believe from the hype of this movie mm-hmm. that it was a movie that really depicted the members of Metallica as kind of like rock and roll clowns. Yes. As like so self-serious and self-involved and like over the top in their self-regard and whatever uh, that it was essentially like a, a cult comedy. Like the, this is something to like laugh at Metallica's like dreary, uh, hyper inflated sense of ego throughout mm-hmm. it. But honestly, as I was watching this, obviously there's some egos involved. Obviously there's some personal, you know, feelings of self-regard involved, but everybody came off fairly reasonable to me in this Uh, maybe not reasonable but i was able to sympathize with everybody in that they were all under a lot of stress and pressure and we're all dealing with it their own way and under the circumstances i don't think anybody came off as like too outlandishly assholeish as they were trying to negotiate you know the world unique uh like circumstance they found themselves in of being metallica yes in the year 2001 yeah needing to record a new album in this situation i agree 
Yeah. I, th- I think so too. I, th- I think I, did they act like babies in this? Yes. yes. But they, I think they actually acted like babies appropriately to the scale of what they were trying to do yes. because they are, I mean, Metallica at the end of the nineties into the two thousands is kind of like not last band standing, but kind of, of a generation of, of metal a generation guys, yeah. of metal, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and all, you know, all relatively healthy we'll get into james's mental health yes and shortly but uh i i understand the pressure that they were under and uh also embarking on a frankly very weird project because not only are they working on an album they are making a movie about working on an album and they're doing therapy while they are working on this album so it's there is like a certain weird meta thing about it apparently the original production of this the the directors of it had they had worked metallica had let these directors whose names are joe berlinger and bruce sinofsky thank you who had just come off the documentary the great documentary Mm -hmm. paradise lost Mm -hmm. about the west memphis three i have not seen that movie if i remember correctly Uh, we should watch sometime it's probably on hbo max yeah but yeah, they had gotten in touch with Metallica and because they were defending these kids who were metalheads who had been accused of these brutal murders, uh, Metallica, somewhat surprisingly, given their whole thing, <laughs> allowed uh-huh. the filmmakers to use some Metallica songs for free. They built this relationship. Sorry if I'm stepping on your story. No, that's please. Uh, they built this relationship. They had always thought about working with each other about something and eventually they came together and the idea was to shoot them in these recording sessions to make one hour infomercials to sell the album which i love like i love that again that is a very turn of the millennium idea yeah what is content what is a video what what is selling an album yeah you're watching tv it's 3 a.m in between girls gone wild (laughs) uh ads you see james hetfield come on and be like hi i'm james hetfield we're recording our new album. <laughs> Let me show you around our studio in the Presidio. <laughs> it is very, it's almost proto adult swim. Yes. Uh, on like a vi- it, dude, imagine if a huge act start dropped an infomercial, like in the middle of the night. That would be honestly it. really funny. That would be super funny. And you know, people would catch it and it would go viral yeah, it would go in its viral own way. I, I, it's a clever idea. So yes. that, that's how the movie got started um in the first place but so yeah the, <laughs> but then immediately i think everybody was like the vibes, <laughs> the vibes are, off. are so off it's so <laughs> like you can all i mean i i, I say this as like someone who makes v- v- videos moving images uh like if you imagine just like going there even day one and just yeah, being yeah. like oh god this is weird <laughs> yes these guys are not in yes. a good spot <laughs> Um, so yeah, they, and they're, uh, you know, Jason quits. He immediately starts a new band called Echo Brain. Not a good band name. Not a good band name. Look, Metallica, I kind of don't, Metallica is obviously a good band name at its most basic thing because it's like, (laughs) it got famous and big and is iconic. Uh, And look, the best thing I can say about the band name Metallica is that it tells you what you're going to get. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's beautiful actually. Uh, It's, I think it's, it's, it's so it sounds like a parody band, you know. It, now it does, yes. but I think I think it, yeah, I think they did they did their best with what they. It could have been worse. It's a very first draft name, but, I guess. But Echo Brain is very like 
that is the, of that time. I feel like a lot in the same way of like a, a velvet revolver. Yes, yes, yes. These sort of like uh, symbolic type of deals. Like yeah. Metallica is not symbolic. It's just metal music. Echo Brain and Velvet Revolver have that kind of both share that inevitable quality of somebody leaving a better band and yeah. starting a second band. Yeah. And you call it like something like, I don't know, Guided Fist. <laughs> Uh, like so, something that that you're like in your mind you're like i need something that approaches the epicness of the last thing but or it, like it's translucent all... wisdom yeah exactly exactly it's it's bad it's yeah, all bad yeah sorry to jason newstead um i have no i don't know what happened to echo brain yes uh who who can say uh but they replaced uh jason with bob rock to play bass bob on rock. the album bob rock chris tell me tell me how you feel about bob rock uh, look i've never i i rarely do i see a figure that i more identify with in, in cinema than bob rock <laughs> bob rock is just happy to be he's, he's just happy, happy to, be, to be there he just wants to do a good job he's he's trying to um uh tai chi uh like move like move with the flow mm -hmm. and just like get everybody to do what they need to do yeah try to yes and everyone but then de-escalate at the same time <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea and i definitely think we should work on that in a way that does you know like, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, and also just sometimes being completely silent when two members of the band are just scre screaming at yeah, each other. Yeah, just kind of staring at the knobs and being like, just give it five, ten minutes, and then we can diffuse. go back to like recording riffs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I admire uh, Bob Rock for, do again, doing his best with what he was given. Yes. Um, the, uh, the other hallmark of them getting together to record what eventually became St. Anger is that unlike previous recording processes, which it sounds like they mostly involved Lars and uh, James coming into the sessions with either hooks already written, riffs some already kind written, of idea lyrics, for a song. some kind of ideas for the song. They came in cold and boy, oh boy, is it painful to watch them so some of the funniest bits to me yeah. of this movie are them just absolutely banging their heads against the wall, trying to come up with the idea for a fucking song. And that is the funniest thing about this is that the music that they end up creating <laughs> is not a Metallica record as much as it is the idea of a Metallica record. Yeah, it really is. Even though they are fucking Metallica, it really is like if you described to a group of session musicians what a Metallica album is like. If you had like 10 minutes to give like the elevator pitch of what Metallica the band was like yeah. to a group of session musicians and we're like, all right, you've got like two weeks to put this together. That's what it seems like. Yeah. It's very um, got hit over the head, woke up, remembered you were in Metallica yeah. and could like, you know, do the uh, Starbucks uh, celebrate good ad yeah. campaign <laughs> yes. version of Metallica. Of, yeah. Like, you know, J James like growling into the mic, my lifestyle determines my my lifestyle death determines style. my death style. Chris, would you say that? I mean, you're not dead yet. I think, um, unless something crazy happened we're <laughs> like between the, re the recording of this and the release. Oh of this. man, don't don't tempt fate in that way. But would you say that your lifestyle is going to determine your death style? I mean, unless I I plan to uh, die by podcast production in whatever way that that means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That you you're li you say your lifestyle is podcast production? Well, I mean, that's what I spend most of my time doing. I guess. I'm always staring at waveforms. So your death style is going to be dying of uh, like a lumbar... like um, <laughs> of, uh, You're dying of fatal lumbar disruption? Di dying of sitting weird. <laughs> uh, that's, that's real. Um, the other 
you know so yeah they're they're songwriting and they're just like kind of bleeding themselves they're not even bleeding themselves dry there's there are they have already bled themselves dry yes there's just simply like nothing to write there's an amazing bit in it where they are asked to do a an advertise a recorded audio advertisement for a radio station basically hosting like a contest of yes. like call in and you'll win money or some yeah. shit and they're like so sarcastic about it and just like completely affronted as if sorry this is where you know the integrity of i guess rock versus pop comes in where it's like you put out a number one album in in the early 90s you are the type of person who at this point now has to record a radio thing yes and they are getting pissed when it is revealed to them that the radio station might not play the new record if they don't play along and so james writes or they co-write a lyric that's like wash your back so you don't stab mine yes and i i just thought it was really funny i was like well i'm so proud of them they actually figured out something to write to a write song about, about. Yeah. there's there's absolutely seemingly no inspiration going on i've never seen a group of people uh enacting something that could more be described as going through the emotions yeah they're just there's no i guess you could say like if you're metallica and you know they show shots of these different guys of like their lifestyles uh you know kirk Kirk hammett (laughs) generating their death styles generating their death hey if uh kirk hammett's a lifestyle determines his death style he will die either falling off a horse or drowning while surfing (laughs) you know not the worst hey that's fine should we go through the personalities of these guys as they as they start this uh this process kirk is obviously very a a charmingly neutral guy the best way that i can describe it is that the energies that they provide Mm -hmm. that they give are extreme big brother brother middle brother little brother mm-hmm. energy with uh james as like uh the the alpha the dominant one feels like the leader he has he feels a little put upon he mm-hmm. has to generate the the song lyrics he's like uh but also kind of like a prick because of it yeah and lars is the little brother the petulant one kind of bratty uh all like mad if he doesn't get his way immediately um you know, bossy. Yeah. And then Kirk as the, this metaphor works best at Kirk, who is the absolute middlest brother of all time. So middle. Yes. Yeah. He, uh, just absolutely like keeping his head down, always trying to deescalate, diffuse arguments, uh, May, swaying the way that arguments go by by his kind of like mercurial swaying from one brother to another yeah uh, it, and he also has that uh mid- middle sibling kind of occasionally muttering under his breath like how he really feels yes exactly <laughs> being like this like oh I, and also kind of like not explicitly but like kind of having that 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 ten, that that like little like nervous energy of is is this my fault? Is this my fault? Yeah. Is this, is this is all there something? I, is there something I can do to to fix this? Like, yeah. is there something I can change about myself to make yeah. this better? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he can I guess he came from. It's, it sounds like both James and uh, Kirk came from uh, tough childhoods yes. of of parental, uh, you know, abuse and neglect and stuff like that. And to be clear, yeah, Kirk seems like a big sweetie. Yeah, and he, I like him a lot. Yeah. He's, I mean, I, I and in the end, I kind of like all these guys. Yeah, I, that, I mean, that's the other thing. The, the the thing that this band has is, you know, at the beginning of it, three very compelling personalities mm-hmm. yes. um, that that fit their roles really well. So yeah, that that's what um, you know. Kirk Kirk is vibing, surfing, yes. hors- horsing around. Yeah, uh, Lars is like it's. I don't think it's super clear. It's definitely not explicit 
in the movie, but I believe he's like kind of on and off with his wife and mm-hmm. he's had, he had a, at least one child with her. Yes. Um, and <laughs> it's one of the most amazing kind of intersections of the, uh, movie is when he is you know he's talking about his art collection he's got like a huge collection of like Basquiat's and shit and then it all of a sudden it is decided that he's going to sell them uh who decided this it I certainly doesn't seem like Lars it decided seem like it. he really wanted to uh he goes to is, is it Chrissy's or Sotheby's I think Chrissy's, it's Chrissy's goes to Chrissy's like uh you know everything's lined up on the wall and the way he looks at them I'm like I re- he really doesn't seem like he wants to sell this artwork but he's like it's when you kind of zoom out you're like dude this musician just sold like 13 million dollars worth of classic paintings and he's just like agonizing over it getting he's just wasted. like getting wasted <laughs> on champagne in the christie's observation room being like oh my babies yeah oh i don't want to see them go it's, yeah yeah it's it's very funny yeah and then uh james is i mean what one of the things that i pointed out in the early bit of the movie when they're kind of illustrating where everyone is mentally is that he appears to have missed his second child's first birthday because he went to russia to hunt bears yes and i was like that seems weird yes you i it i would understand missing your child's first birthday if you and i'm not there there's a trend amongst people in our generation to throw lavish first birthday parties for children i don't agree with that yeah i think you can have a nice little small family gathering the kid's not not gonna remember it I don't remember anything from that year. There I'm is sorry. A ver- there is a very funny video somewhere of my first birthday where my parents bring out a <laughs> tiny cake with a candle in it. And they're like, you know, they start it by like cooing at me that it's like, oh, it's special. It's your birthday. And I don't know. I'm one. I don't know what the fuck's going yeah, on. You're still and then the candle with the fire on it comes out and I see it and I just start <laughs> screaming. Yes. It's not. It's not. The, the accoutrement of birthday is not appropriate for no. a, a, a wee one. Yes. A wee wee one. Um, so yeah, but I'm like an, of an elective campaign to hunt bears in Russia. Like, come on, It sounds on, like he dude. didn't even really want to kill the bears. He kind of felt bad about it too. It just, it seemed like a, I don't like know. He was like, yeah, it turns out that you can't really eat the bear meat. So... <laughs> We just kind of killed them. He's like showing off these pictures where he's just with these like flat bears in the <laughs> snow. <laughs> to me, it's illustrative. Maybe I'm a little sensitive, but it's sort of illustrative of uh, so- someone who th- things aren't quite right with it. Maybe his priorities are not yeah. aligned. Um, and shortly into the you know therapy sessions and the recording of the album, which by the way, it should be noted that they record this album at a totally like built not built from scratch, but like kind of built from scratch, <laughs> uh, record recording studio in, uh, army barracks yes it's a decommissioned army barracks in a park in north of san francisco north of san francisco um, that they like transform into like a mobile studio which i i say having read and seen enough of these uh if the band is like we got to get out of the studio and like just go somewhere else and like change it up it's not a good sign yeah it, it, it basically it basically means like if you think that the change of location is going to be your idea it means that you do not have ideas yeah the it, they're they're clearly in a certain disarray as they're starting to try to grind through this early songwriting process and then james goes to rehab yes very suddenly like in the first like 20 minutes of the movie yes. basically 
and not only like goes to rehab but like it ends up being a full year that he's away from the band yeah and he kind of like ghosts them to rehab it, it really seems like everybody like wakes up one morning and james is like i'm in rehab yeah and it, it also sat like in the playboy interview it also it, there's like a weird section at the end of it where they basically all kind of confirm that they actually haven't spoken to one another in some time mm-hmm. like it, it it seems like things kind of fizzled out in this way that feels uh incongruous for what's supposed to be like a tight squad yes uh and and the the playboy interview is when uh the bassist jason induced it was still in the band mm-hmm. um but i had also and i don't think this was maybe explicitly talked about but he had wanted to release a solo album and the other members of metallica were like no <laughs> you can't do that and so he he, he went did and the releases thing. yeah he quit he quit the band so <sighs> never quit the band yeah never quit the band the a year is a long time when you're supposed to be making a new project yeah and when you're not getting communication of it being like hey i'm look i'm gonna do this for a year so then like you can everybody else can like go live their life for a year right and of course you know that's not on him to like know how long things are gonna take but i can understand why everyone got so frustrated you know i yes i'm not gonna pressure obviously (laughs) his priority should be on getting himself right and however long that takes and everything but you know like give him a ballpark say yeah longer than six months yeah exactly uh in the playboy interview it was hinted at that you know they talked about their long-standing reputation or their prior reputation which i think they tried to shed or started being shed of being called alcoholica yes which we were uh before we started recording i was trying to figure out another nickname for metallica that would imply that they all drank heavily but i was unable to do so because i was like alcoholica that doesn't even a little clunky right yeah it's it just doesn't it doesn't rhyme or doesn't have any like shared whatever uh but i was really trying to figure out another nickname and i couldn't do it so i guess good enough uh the best one that you came up with was cocktailica <laughs> to imply that uh, that uh, James Hetfield was getting fucked up on sea breezes, <laughs> well, cosmos. I did read one of the things I was I read that uh, at at its height he was apparently drinking a bottle of Jägermeister a night, which is not. I mean, to me, I I hear that and I'm like, I guess maybe all oh, the the herbal. <laughs> the herbal brew kind of balances out the negative yeah, at least there are nutrients in there. <laughs> my, my uh you know i'm i'm pro digestif uh mm-hmm. uh i think there's some you know calming <laughs> herbs for the, the stomach i there. don't doubt their prodigious alcohol consumption i know that it is legendary about them yeah uh and i don't want to undermine uh james is james's you know uh addiction or his seat for treatment but it is very funny in the movie when they ever they reference James's like prodigious alcohol consumption. They cut to like him in a concert with like one eight ounce cup of beer in his hand going, who here likes beer? <laughs> How many of y'all want to see me drink one beer? It's like and they come back and being like and him being like, I just know that feeling of being dangerous and out of control with yourself. And I just don't want to ever see myself in that. And then they cut back to him being like, again, like a, like a small solo cup being like gently, gently splashing an audience member and then taking a little sip from it. And it's like, if that's the footage they have, I get it. It's just very, very funny because it's, it's very much, very much like I'm an alcohol maniac. Watch me drink one beer. <laughs> 
right. The, the, I get one beer in me and I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The ge- the gentle splashing of the, it yeah, was, yeah. you know, as opposed to like ho- hosing someone down with like a keg. Yeah, or like, you know, or like draining a bottle of Jack on, on stage or something. Yeah. Am, am I also correct that there was like a slight montage of like titties and beer over oh, the... Oh, yes. Oh, God. What was that? It was a t- Temptation, which is yes. a, a song off the new, the, the new album. No, uh, St. Anger. St. Anger. It was like he was going like temptation, and uh, yes, and it was just like beer girls w- waving their titties. Yeah, it's like, it's like girls on people's shoulders taking their tops. Uh, yeah, and the, the Metallica song is uh, is uh, temptation, temptation, <laughs> and, and him singing it in slow motion, superimposed yeah. over yeah, like girls gently taking their tops off, and him again sipping that one beer. One beer. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm sure he James Hetfield has faced many many temptations in his life, but just doing your like superimposed montage of titties and beer, titties and beer, yeah, uh, with the um, titties and beer with with the te- the heavy the heavy dirgy Metallica temptation was right. very funny to me. Right, titties and beer, you know? Oh. What titties and beer? No. In the Chuck Klosterman uh, New York Times interview, uh, I believe this is fr- from that, not quoting something else. Uh, he Kirk Hammett says, I think most people in rock bands have arrested development society doesn't demand people in rock bands do certain things you're able to start drinking whenever you want and you can play shows drunk and you get off stage and continue to be drunk and people love it they toast their glasses to an artist who's drunk and breaking things and screaming and wrestling in the middle of a restaurant things like that happen to us and people cheered yeah i mean that that feels very true and honest yeah and you do, you know obviously this documentary does not uh c- cover that <laughs> like or do, does not capture that but you can understand how someone would get to be that way after basically two decades of or yeah two almost two decades of being <laughs> egged on there's another funny review i don't know if it was the classroom review or another one that i read where they were quoting i think it is in the classroom one, one where he's where the therapist phil is quoting Kirk Hammett saying he said that when he came off tour, he felt like he had PTSD. Yes. And when Phil was trying to uh, drive in to like explore, like, why do you feel like you have PTSD? He was like, you know, I have to like do things. I have to, I have to take out the trash. Yes. Yes. <laughs> when I'm not on tour. Yes. I mean, there, there is something to be said. The, the celebrity, the rich celebrity musician lifestyle is basically designed to eventually turn you into a, a baby at best and a In, baby or, with a serious problem. Or at worst, worst some kind of monster. Some kind of monster. It, it, like, it, you know, th- that's the price you, I guess, pay, like that's the exchange of being like, I want a rock star who can act like a rock star, do whatever. It's like, okay, I'll do that, but then yeah. don't get mad at me if I, like, if I don't act Yeah, I was right. going to say that earlier when you said that they, do they all, when you asked, do they all ask, act like baby in this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the answer is yes, but again, in my sympathy for them, they do all act like babies, but n- no more than like everybody acts like babies sometimes like every person you know mm-hmm. is baby sometimes yes the difference is is that they have 20 years of like success and lack of responsibility injected into that p- babyness totally so yes. but but it, it it surprised me again how recognizable the behavior was yes. you know sure yes um so james goes to rehab he comes back 
one of the stipulations of coming back is that he can only work four hours a day from and not just yes. any four hours noon, noon to four, four um, which i'm like honestly sounds great for everybody yes uh I, I would love that for us all i know but I, even just thinking about that like noon to four it seems like oh great those seem like perfect rock star al- hours but the deal the deal is and i think that it would what goes unexamined in that is that for doing something like recording an album for a rock band mm-hmm. If the idea is you only have four hours a day to work productively, mm-hmm. what you really need is you show up at noon mm-hmm. and dick around until 3.30 or 4, mm-hmm. like slowly getting in the mood to work. Mm-hmm. And then you are actually productive from like 4 to 7. Yes. And then the last hour, like 7 to 8, is like ideas you're going to throw out anyway. Yeah. And that's your eight hour day. You like need those hours where you like Yeah. Sit down, decide what to order for lunch, get mad at each other over some bullshit, yeah. hash out what you did yesterday. Play a you video know, game. Play or a video game, watch watch fucking YouTube videos, the yeah. lunch comes, you eat, you play a riff everybody hates, you go back to not working for a little <laughs> bit. And then after you after you it's like the fucking Michelangelo in the marble sculpture. You've got to chip away everything that's not work. Yeah. And then do the work for like Th- two to three hours where stuff is happening and and that's the actual productive yeah. time. So when you only have those four hours in a day, you're only going to spend them doing the bullshit, you yes. know? Yeah, it sounds like they did not. If uh, he's literally showing up at the studio at four and to noon and leaving at four, that gives like 15 minutes of productivity after you get rid of all the bullshit time. Yeah, it, it isn't. I would say it's not necessarily reasonable, especially since I would assume based on, uh, you know, Lars's reaction is that their usual recording is a uh, show up at five <laughs> uh eat dinner and then like fuck around until five in the morning yeah sure uh so yeah i i get it and then you know there was uh sort of i would say co- a little bit of a control freakiness displayed when james starts getting upset at everyone uh for daring to like listen to demos when he's not there yes exactly so and this precipitates the biggest fight in the movie yes which is lars and I don't know where else to put this, so I'll put it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lars Ulrich, who is one of the, mo- the the people who most displays their attitude and personality through posture that I've ever seen in a movie. Yes. Because in every shot of him, he's always like curled up into a little ball. It's like a little gargoyle. Yeah, a ball on a chair. Yeah. Just kind of like both seething and then like also ready to like snark at anybody. Yeah. The, the other, mm-hmm. be- before we get into the fight, the other posture thing or like just like the behavioral thing where he's like recording drum tracks and i know now from like being present at recording sessions that like drums are you have to get the drums right yes and the drums are usually first when Mm -hmm. you figured out a song because everything else can get layered on top of those and his attitude of like trying to like get things right is for someone who you know what it is it's the tennis player in him to go in, go into this. The, the yeah, the, this is my little pet theory about uh, a, a tennis personality, which is that uh, from the from the book that I'm reading right now that on we're our, reading on our right secondary now podcast about if you know you know about many things, including tennis. Tennis seems to be basically a game of repetition to a certain point, where you do the same thing over and over, you get really good at it, so that you know exactly when the ball gets popped over to you you know based on how it's spinning and how you hit it where exactly it's going to go and then everything else is just mental i think it's a great uh 
great condition to be a drummer because you kind of have to do the same thing. It's just rote repetition, but you have to get it right. You have to be like completely exact. Yes. But it's also mental. So you're also like fighting your own brain in there. Mm-hmm. And I saw that in Lars. Lars, who is a third generation ten- tennis, tennis pro. Pl- player. His- I think he was a junior pro. And that's why he moved to California in the first place was to like continue playing tennis. Uh, his grandfather was a, I, I believe, r- represented... Uh, he he played in the Davis Cup a bunch o- on behalf of Denmark. I believe his father was an Olympic tennis player. Maybe I'm wrong. He's a yeah third generation like pro or almost pro ten- Danish tennis uh, player. Yeah, I th- I just think it makes a lot of sense. In, in, you know, having the 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 exactitude and frustration and sort of mental uh, anguish of tennis makes sense as a drummer. But uh, <laughs> the f- the fight that you were referring to, which Chuck Klosterman says in his review that this is at the point when he was watching it in theaters, everyone started laughing. Yes. Which is when, you know, Lars is like stalking around the room and he's saying he's like kind of talking to and about James and being like, the word, when I think about you, honestly, the word I think most is fuck. <laughs> fuck. You know, fuck, I'm man. Just, wait, and James is like, what, you want to tell me to fuck off? And he's like, no, it's it's not. <laughs> it's it's just what I, I all I have is fuck. fuck. <laughs> and you're like you're frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this is it is simultaneously the funniest scene and also the most sympathetic because again, it is a bunch of people in a high stress situation really try honestly trying, I think, mm-hmm. to like connect with each other and explain their emotions, but they have so underdeveloped tools to do it that it's like like the words that Lars uses in that scene are so funny. It's like you have so much self-regardability and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. The it and you know to go back or we can talk a little bit about and, the therapeutic and, process again with this therapist. Yes. It is like it's it's unclear. There, there's a little bit of seeing him actually asking the question or like spurring things on but it is also it left i feel like with the edit a little bit open-ended of like how they got to these places in the first place <laughs> yeah. and i kind of want like w- what i was missing what i would have loved to see is like them sitting down at the conference table that they were sitting at eating their sad sad sandwiches <laughs> it is very sad death salad They're, in the recording studio at, yeah. w- at one point in the movie like lars and phil the therapists are like kind of talking to each other and like being like very sarcastic mm-hmm. uh to each other in a way that sort of belies how uh, how maybe not a therapist this is and phil is like rearranging his sandwich which again <laughs> this is something that i do so i i'm not judging him on that alone but like it is just funny that they just get these catered sandwiches and then phil is like all right gotta pick these wet tomatoes out of here because i certainly can't take a bite of this with this tomato in this shit that is i forget exactly what phil says that is so like such a fucked up therapist thing of be, be, being like talking to lars and lars be, being like i don't know maybe this is my problem and and phil being like yeah maybe you are a control freak maybe you won't ever get better from this thing i'm like dude that is you should not be saying that as a therapist or being like yeah maybe you are irrevocably damaged yeah maybe you are just a big wuss baby <laughs> <laughs> and, and like supposedly sarcastically but that's if you're a therapist you can't you can't joke that your 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 client that who you're in therapist with is like sucks. <laughs> I've I've had one therapist in my one and a half therapists in my life, and that is not something that I've ever encountered in any yeah. kind of dynamic. That like that is 
I don't know. May- maybe there's certain styles of things that I'm not aware of, but mm-hmm. like it seemed like super negative in a weird way that I. Yeah. Well, one thing that Molly. At. So uh, we're still trying. We're in. We're in the middle of a deep digression before we get to this fight, but yeah. it's, it's important to give all this like therapy background about yeah. it because Molly, as you said, like right after we watched, one of your big takeaways from this is that one of the their weaknesses in this point is as you described it that they had gotten to therapy brained they got really therapy brained where like by the end of the movie they're almost or close to the end of the movie they're still fighting and they're still kind of picking at each other but they're doing it in therapy speak yeah where uh at one point so one of them is like yeah like you want to dig deeper with that or like like just something that i'm just like oh no they've weaponized yes they've they've weaponized this sense of like uh you you know making i statements for example uh as opposed to saying like (laughs) you do this you do that uh yeah it it is kind of like both disturbing and makes a lot of sense to me of like how if you got that weekly treatment that you'd be like okay well it's okay if i dig at him if i do it in this way because i'm just expressing myself therapeutically yeah it's like and i hope i hope this isn't too mean to them but it is it's kind of like giving a monkey a jackhammer Mm. like they have really underdeveloped tools to do any of this like interpersonal negotiation Mm -hmm. they're still using basic tools like rocks and sticks and Mm -hmm. then suddenly you give them these like this highly advanced you know uh this this jackhammer this suite of like highly sophisticated power tools that are just like hey go for it and so, so suddenly yeah uh you know you get lars like interspersing this fight with every you know every sentence ends with him screaming fuck and then every sentence is i just feel that your self-regard has overcome <laughs> your interpersonal dedication to <laughs> keeping us afloat in your self uh perspectiveness yeah, yeah. fuck <laughs> F- fuck fuck uh i do i do like hearing him say the word fuck it's very yes. funny it's very danish um the yeah the in the chuck Klossman article he says near the end of it or he writes uh he says uh I interviewed James Hetfield in 1996 and it was one of the worst conversations of my <laughs> professional life. He was surly, impenetrable and unable or maybe just unwilling to think in the abstract. <laughs> and I do like, it sounds like it is a, a lot of growth for them yes. in that sense, especially, you know, I also read a different Rolling, a Rolling Stone article from uh, after the release of the Black Album mm-hmm. where again like they interviewed everyone they're dealing with their not sudden success but their sudden like massive success and basically just being like yeah i don't know it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah we were we were trying to guess what klosterman meant by unable to think in the abstract and we're just like thinking of an interview where chuck was like so you have a new record out what's that like and james hetfield's like it's got 11 songs on it it's comes in vinyl or on compact disc the songs are fast and loud yeah but what what's that like for you you know like emo- like what kind of emotions mm-hmm. or energy went into it uh, like what like how, what are you bringing to this new album and him being like well i mostly played guitar on it and then i sang some but the important thing about that Klosterman thing about him not mm-hmm. being able to speak in the abstract is the second part of that sentence which is i talked i spoke to him for this article like yes. after this movie came out and he was seemed to be in a really good place yeah. and was like engaging with me and like talking about stuff and seemed to have yeah. like perspective yeah. and stuff. Right. There, there, there it's, it's the growth. It's the growth for me. <laughs> yes. Um, can we talk about while we're, while we're doing psychology, uh, 
Lars and his father. Yes. <laughs> was one of the really interesting segments. It was very short. Uh, you know, all of a sudden this wizened old this like Danish wizard, Danish tree gnome, <laughs> like appear like he he looks like if an ent was a guy yes. who was normal size. Yes, he's got like this long beard. Uh, he and you know he's not just a tennis player. He is a he as a writer. He's a jazz musician. Like he's a real Renaissance man. Yes. and it's so funny that you when you see Lars by himself talking shit he seems like a very confident guy like he seems like he's very sure of himself he knows what he's doing he's got a personality and then in front of his father uh he's like again shrinking in on himself like he, he at, at he's with his father and phil the therapist and phil's saying which also seems like a weird situation again i want to know the setup why did they have those three together yes what was going on we, there? who did ever bring their parents to their therapist no. Yes. I mean, I can see why you would bring a parent to therapy, but it, uh, yeah, what what was the setup there? His father's name is Torben, by the way, uh, Tor- Torben Ulrich. Uh, but um, you know, there's a scene where he, I'm trying to remember the setup, but Phil is basically like, what like what would you say about your father and the way that like he influences the way you do things? And Lars is like, oh, oh, oh well, I can't really say in front of him, and then basically implies like he is an all important opinion. Like when he plays music yeah. and his father doesn't like it, he wants t- to die basically. <laughs> and then it immediately cuts to a scene where he's playing, where Lars is playing his father tracks off the new album. And his father's like, yes, I w- if I was making this album, I wouldn't include this mostly on account of it not being very good. I would delete it. <laughs> I would del- If this was my song, I would, d- I would delete, delete it. I would say delete that. You know? for, for me, that doesn't cut it, you know, Molly, you do a good job of Lars's uh, Denmark via Southern California accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very funny. This is clearly the inspiration for the wizened pilgrim old parents on Metalocalypse, right? Absolutely. The silent, like bearded uh, Nordic parents. Yes. That the guitarist is terrified of. Uh, are those um, Squizgards? Squizgards I think so. Something like that. Uh, no, they're to- Toki. Are they Toki's parents? I think they might be Toki's parents. To- Toki reminds me of of Lars. And, yes. you know, he's always talking like uh, clearly this. a lot of Metalocalypse comes from yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, like that's thrown in the mix. It is kind of like a, a sort of blender of like what is going on <laughs> exactly. with all these guys. Why are they the way they are? It is not just a very linear documentary, but that's kind of what's great. It's just these scattershot things scenes of events around this where you're like it often is like what is going on here again again i guess that what is not going on is them recording a good album album. (laughs) so uh, again another scene that that dad stuff reminds me of is when when james comes back from therapy and the documentarians are like in the movie briefly be and everybody's like so like it's been 400 days since we started this documentary Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be an infomercial Mm -hmm. What are we doing? What are we doing here? What are we doing? Yeah. Again, it must be kind of wild to be the filmmakers at that point. Just being like, how much of this, how much of my life is this going to be? Is this ever going to come out? Am I wasting my life? Am I wasting like my money? (laughs) But it is also like, it's just like, and here's another scene. It's funny to see a scene in your documentary. That's like, what is the point of this documentary? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is sort of self-reflexive. Another thing that gets thrown into the mix around the same time is the Napster thing. Yes. Which is, you know, Lars basically leading the charge against Napster because, uh, you know, 
this is where I, I am. I would say I am sympathetic to, yes, this multi, multi, multi millionaire rock star because this is someone who for, again, two decades has been making music for a certain type of industry and getting certain returns from it. And then hearing that people are getting your hard work for free. For free. I can uh, understand. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's right. I don't. I especially don't think that the way he went about the campaign was very um, smart. Yes, I mean that. that but is, I understand why Lars the baby <laughs> acted the way he, he did. did. It is, I think, in retrospect, in the hindsight of the last twenty years, you can say that Lars is quixotic uh, quest against Napster. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he he's a bit of a Cassandra. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, is that he was crying out against this thing, uh, in a, in a way that made everybody ignore him and mad at him and ignore even the small good points he was making. And now, you know, we've been through like what, six collapses of the record industry since then. Yeah. Like he, it's (laughs) to, to invoke, to invoke a, uh, a big Lebowski quote. You're not wrong, Lars. You're just an asshole. Yeah. Uh-huh. And but the other thing is, is that I don't think there's anything he could have done. Mm-hmm. No matter if he had, had had been much more strategic and thoughtful about it. Mm-hmm. Even if he is right about like the danger of or, uh, quote unquote danger of yeah. what what is gonna happen here, the, the disruption that it's gonna cause, yeah. how bad it's going to be for musicians, not just for Metallica, but for like everybody up and down the totem pole. Like this is just, I mean, this is just uh, technology and, and capitalism. Uh, yeah, yeah, capitalism. capitalism uh, just p- ripping meaning and like value out of, out of stripping the pipes out of or the walls, you know? Yeah. I want to reference our uh, uh, former guest, friend of the pod, uh, David Turner. I get his uh regular email penny fractions which if you're at all interested in like the music business i would highly recommend subscribing um i have not listened to the podcast that he refers to on his latest uh installation of this but he said that uh he appeared on a podcast called money for nothing that's for the numeral Mm -hmm. and he basically he has challenged the idea that napster took down the record industry because he said that there the narrative conveniently conveniently ignores decades of consolidation across recordings, publishing, radio, retail, and even digital spaces. Uh, Using piracy as a trigger point for the industry's decline provides an easy to avoid accountability for the predatory business practices that precipitated such a fall. Yes. Listen to this podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, um, but David Turner is very smart and I am sure he is correct. Yeah. So I I think it's the, dare I say, was it it like the canary in the coal mine? Yeah, yeah. It's like like one of those things that... um, you know, like any like industrial or finan- financial collapse, <laughs> like all these panics that I've been talking about on the President's podcast. It's like on the streets of London. Uh, pa- well, panic. Yeah, panic on the, on the streets, streets of New Birmingham. York. It's like all these. Um, yeah, where where there's like an institutional failure of like liquidity or something, or or like supply or something like that, and mm-hmm. then it takes a small rupture or like I don't know a crop failure somewhere yeah. to precipitate a a disastrous decline and pro- i guess that would probably be the largest stupidity of, of uh, his special stupidity of blaming the fans themselves who are the just fans. using the, this service yeah and trying to bring suit against the fans mm-hmm. rather than being like 
hey, there is this new method that is allowing people to bypass the record industry. Yeah. Maybe it's time to rethink how we do the record industry. Sure. Yes. I think that's right. Yeah. It, it was a, you are right that it is quixotic and that all he succeeded in doing was turning himself <laughs> people off. into a, a villain. Um, but also that is, that is Lars's, that, that's simply his way. Yes. Um, he, he is a natural, I wouldn't even say troll because trolls like, trolls like the the process of pissing people off i think he just is what what is he i mean he's he's self-righteous and he's a bit of a douchebag and he is he a trickster no no (laughs) he just he he believes that he he believes capricorn that makes sense (laughs) uh that um that he but yeah that he believes that that he 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 should be re- rewarded for his hard work and talent mm-hmm. and uh, that he right. has earned these things. He was looking at it and with the logic that he had, like that y- you have at the beginning of a career that happens in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the problem is that the logic does have to change with the tides. And it also why you dude, like why does it have to be you? Yes, exactly. Sadly, the Napster stuff doesn't really fold into the rest of the movie at all. It's just something that happened during then. And so. more, yeah. More just kind of explains again, why everything's <laughs> yeah. so goddamn tense. Yeah. Scanner shock. Uh, to quote St. Anger, St. Anger, frantic. Fra- it's, it, it's pretty frantic. Um, so they, they eventually, it seems like they, they kind of find an equilibrium. They, a sort of flow one might, I would never, I don't think they ever got into the flow state, but they, they figured yeah. out a, a, a more clear path of like it, song inspiration, songwriting. <laughs> it's like building a complicated piece of Ikea furniture where you threw out the instructions uh at the beginning and then are just trying to like using your own set of nails like hammer it together it's it's like it's so it's like almost skin crawling to watch them try to assemble this record yeah it's it is really painful um should we should we listen yeah to should we listen to something well here's what i wanted to do yeah i wanted to listen to some good metallica first okay and I, i'm tempted to just throw on uh enter sandman just since that's the like pop crossover metal thing but let's start with some like early when they still had the fire okay let's do seek and destroy say already from the beginning of the song there's already like 10 things that have happened in this song you know yes lots of things there's like nine riffs already yeah they are not shy about sharing their riffs they honestly should have saved it was like that well that's the thing it's like you have too too many ideas Yeah. 
can destroy. Yeah, so it's uh, you know it's like appropriately heavy. The lyrics are on, um, ominous, uh, though it is like. One thing that this movie and this whole process makes you really consider is the very, very fine line between heavy metal coolness and heavy metal corniness. Yes. Yeah, this is pretty, like, I wouldn't say subtle, but it doesn't have quite the, like, flamboyant clownishness yeah. of uh, of their maybe contemporaries. Yeah. And so, like, the midpoint between this and St. Anger would be, like, Enter Sandman, mm-hmm. which I could play after this, but again, these songs are very long and in- involved, and we probably want to just get to the St. Anger stuff. And yeah. then also, everybody who's listened to this has heard Enter Sandman. Yeah. Just imagine it in your just, head. Okay, just right think now. about it in your head. Yeah. Rotate, rotate Enter Sandman <laughs> in your mind. Uh, you know, uh, Exit Light, Enter Night, Take My Hand. We're off to Never Neverland. Yada yada yada. We're off to Never Neverland. Anyway, you know you know what that song sounds like. So yeah. that's the the middle part between these, and then we get to Frantic. instrumentals yeah it's the instrumentals aren't bad although i do think they set sa- the sound of the recordings is not great it's 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 mixed really funky produced kind of funky the drums are very funny I, to me I'll say something uncharitable. Yes. It sounds like... There we go. It sounds like what if the Foo Fighters wrote a song that they thought was like Metallica? Yes. Which, again, I do think that is the product of the time. Yes. Rock was weird at this time. No one knew what they wanted to be. Yes. And I also think, like, given watching the documentary, it's it's funny to open your... this this album in particular with a diatribe about like why am I spending my day doing this I could be doing anything better it would be making me feel better (laughs) it's and it's hard to say you know for me it's it's a little hard to articulate why this is so stupid what when seek and destroy like stays on the cool side you know yeah but it has that inevitable quality of dumbness to it. Uh, yeah. And not cool dumbness. I mean, my lifestyle determines my death style. It's just really sweaty. Yeah, it is. And people don't like sweaty. You could hear you could hear him working for it through it. And it, you kind of it's kind of presented you kind of feel that like I don't know, is this something? <laughs> 
And also, you know... It's the sound of people who are... The only thing that they're fighting against are themselves. Themselves, yeah. Determines my death style. I should get really good at singing this for uh, karaoke. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure people have a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> but with a certain crowd. <laughs> with a certain, what, what crowd? Uh, I mean, the crowd we're going to play with on uh, Friday. Yes, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, we can listen to another another one in a little bit, but it's just like, it's, it's, it is very funny to just see them like really desperately trying to put this all together. In this frantic TikTok, again, it just sounds like a, a Metalocalypse song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, the guitar riffs are not terrible, but, you know, that's the boy Kirk. He's, like, just showing up and doing his best. He's like... Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, yes, and as you mentioned earlier, you think the drums sound really goofy. This is a snare tone that people sometimes use that I absolutely loathe. Yeah. It's the snare tone. It feels like the snare is not tightened it's on really the, the drum at all. Yeah. I fucking hate this. <laughs> it's awful. As you said earlier, it sounds like he's banging on pots and pans. It does. It sounds like he's doing the Woodstock 99 uh, trash can drum circle. So anyway, this is the, this is frantic. The product of all of this, uh, this work and sweat. Blood, sweat, and tears from the boys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is. It comes out. It doesn't come out when the, in the documentary, but uh, it is like widely panned as it comes out as let's like some of their worst material. It's funny it, near the end of the movie when they have songs for the album, they play them for their longtime manager. Who like you can see him like visibly get bored as he keeps listening, yeah. and then he's like, first four songs, awesome. Uh, I would really appreciate and hope that you guys would put out an entire album of songs that are like that that people would actually want to pay attention to. <laughs> I mean, if there's anything that can be said for the documentary, is that they made them sympathetic for not being able to write a good album. Yes, because if you just heard this without the movie you'd be like oh, these guys are really phoning it in mm -hmm. they're not phoning it in yes they are grinding they are really really trying very hard to write a good album and that's where yeah that's where it's sympathetic because writing a metallica album at that point in their career seems incredibly stressful and writing an album to get a collaborative album in general is very stressful even when you're d in in the flow and doing a good job yeah absolutely it's i think that that at the end of the day you know the behavioral stuff it, it all makes sense when you think about it is it's just like hard to be in a band <laughs> it's like one of the hardest jobs yes it's like no there are no you have you all have a boss i guess which is like the label yeah. allegedly or your management company or whatever but it's kind of like it's like working at a company where there are no underlings and everyone is the boss yes and you're all the boss of each other and you're all the boss of each other yeah and then occasionally like someone might come in and then you're all you all be the boss of them uh, in that Playboy article, apparently Jason Newstead, when he first joined the band, he got hazed like horribly for like a year because he was like a fan of the band. He was right? a fan of the band and was also, you know, di was was good at it. Um, but he he said, let's see if I can pull it up. Uh He's talking about the hazing. He said, one time it's four in the morning. They're hammered and knocking on my hotel door when we were in New York. Get up, fucker. It's time to drink, pussy. 
you know you're in metallica now you better open that fucking door they kept pounding kaboom the door frame shreds and the door flies uh the door comes flying in and they go you should have answered the door bitch they grab the mattress and flip it over with me on it they put the chairs the desk the tv stand everything in the room on top of the mattress they threw my clothes my cassette tapes my shoes out the window shaving cream all over the mirrors toothpaste everywhere just devastation they go running out the door welcome to the band dude <laughs> so if we're talking growth yes that's growth just screaming fuck in fuck. in uh, james's <laughs> face is growth all the just like all the little moments of of them being baby are also so good of like you know james being like i'm trying to be serious here i'm trying to i'm trying to do a good you know i'm trying to i'm trying to be good for the band and good for myself and good by my wife and good by my kid and then it cuts to him like leaving the studio on like a enormous like ca- candy colored like chopper bicycle or like his li- little weird clown car <laughs> yeah, that he gets exactly. pulled over by the cops dr- and you know i you know i'm sure that a, a you know really nice chopper like that is like hyper whatever cool or masculine to a certain uh set of people but to after that kind of ar- uh, uh like argument and given his whole thing, it is just very much like, and now I'm going to drive away on my toy. I'm, like, I'm going to take my toy and go home. I'm take my big toy bike and drive away. Yeah. Maybe you'll be nicer to me next time. Yeah, the I I think he said, I, I would wish I wrote down exact quotes. I'm sorry. But he when he was in his little like clown car, he was like, you know, uh, like now, like when I'm away from the bin, I just like to like keep it real. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm just myself just doing my thing. And he's like riding this <laughs> ridiculous in like a, car. Like a car, yeah, like a, a, a wacky races hot rod. <laughs> it, 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 he's a Leo. He, would it, I mean, a, a Leo Capricorn partnership is a, is an interesting thing. That's, that's all I'll say. Um, the, you know, get, veering toward the supposed end of the movie, I think what they try to, and I would say succeed to center as like a happy ending, is the hiring of a new bassist. Rob Trujillo. Rob Trujillo. Who honestly seems great. He seems amazing. Uh, I really hope, I'm not going to Google him right now. I hope he hasn't been canceled in some way. Um, it, I, I looked him up and I did not see anything bad. Also, as of, I believe, 2018, longest serving bassist, bassist in Metallica. Yeah, he, he shows up. He's pretty silent. Um, he's been, he was in uh, Suicidal Tendencies. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne's band. band. Uh, he just has a great, just like agreeable vibe. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's really good and cool at yeah. playing bass. He plays bass coolly coolly yeah it was yeah. funny they showed the audition process it was funny when when they first uh showed they, they showed like a fan appreciation day yeah. where they were like signing you know shirts and, and albums and stuff and then had a contest basically like whoever could handle I, I don't know which song that they were playing but they had we were doing you know jam with the band like all bassists you know come apply and everyone was kept fucking up kept fucking up because it was a really complicated thing and then the chick did it Just, yeah, a, girl. a girl uh, and for a second, I was like, wait, did they pick her? <laughs> no. No. Of course not. You can't. I'm sorry. You can't, I'm a feminist, but you can't have a girl in Metallica. No, I don't think that that would work. Girl girl basis. Save that for uh, save that for Black Francis. Smashing Pumpkins. Save that for Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and Trujillo just it is it is funny because it does seem like that. That is the denouement of this is that <laughs> MTV calls them up to be get an icons, icons performance and they're like well shit if we're gonna play the show we need a new bassist they get trujillo to play for them his vibe is just like immediately like grateful but like 
in the pocket and like enthusiastic and like excited to be part Humble, of the band. ready to work. Yeah. And Re- yeah. Super talented. Looks cool. Fits in with the whole band vibe. Yeah. And I mean, obviously this is the documentary construction, but it does seem like it is just like kind of a new leaf. And th- this is the thing. This is the moment of like, we have to get through sucking to come out on the other side mm-hmm. as like a professional, like, old like old dog band yeah i honestly not i didn't even think about this before but the the sort of climax of the new band with uh rob trujillo uh is they are mtv icons they already did the work they don't have to do they they don't don't have have to to do this yeah (laughs) another good song ever ever again no they could honestly be like billy how many years did billy joel write songs 20 years maybe something like that and billy joel plays you know every other freaking thursday he's probably at madison square garden right right now now. (laughs) (laughs) let me in let me in show tonight guys they they are they are icons they don't have to do shit they don't have to grind this way uh and i think like it's a is it a cynical thought in that sense of being like well everyone especially they show these massive crowds for the their first tour with uh rob trio like they everybody they don't still have, loves them they they're metallica to, they don't have to prove themselves yeah. they don't have to prove themselves and it, it makes it almost more tender and uh kind of nice that they tried <laughs> yeah i mean as embarrassing from a global perspective as the the documentary is yeah again they, they it's like it what it is a documentary of is the a band a great band that are legends and will be like can do be like touring like old like rock legends for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. going through the crucible of having to suck for an era yeah and coming flop, out flop of, era uh, they have to, it has they have to go through their flop out era to come out the other side as like the solidified legacy band. Yeah. They have their bad album, but they've got a new bassist who works with the band. They got through hating each other to get to a point where they can work together. Mm -hmm. And now they can just like, they don't have to release new shit ever again. They can just be Metallica. Yeah. And tour forever. Yeah. And people love them. It's still probably play for like a million people. If they go to like Buenos areas or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. They, it, and it is heartening in that way because as, as stupid as it is to see them like try to convince themselves that my lifestyle uh, influences my death style is a cool lyric and be big babies about like whether or not they can spend more than four hours or if they can like listen to demos afterwards, like all the stuff that they're like babies about in here. I'm trying to remember if we missed any like good things. It's like yeah. it, it makes you feel good that they like worked through it and got to a point where they can. You're happy that they're, they didn't like get to a point where they can't be on stage or in the same room with each yeah, other and bro- stuff like broke that. Broke up, God forbid, or, you know, James, conti- it's, I believe he's sober or like seems Sober-ish. to be doing okay up until this day. Like, that's a win to not uh, yeah. lo- lose your uh, lead singer to alcoholism. Yeah. That's great. Hey, y'all, it's, uh, it's Molly from The Edit. Yeah, that's right. I'm editing this episode. Bitch. <laughs> It's it's me, the editor. Uh, just a, a little note that I just looked up whether uh, James Hetfield had to uh, go back to rehab at any point, and yes, he did. In September 2019, Metallica canceled the remainder of a tour that they were on so that James Hetfield could go back to rehab. Boy, oh boy, we are we are praying for this man, we're hoping he figures his shit out. It seems like he left rehab eventually, but um, this stuff is uh, really tough, isn't it? Okay, back to the podcast. Goodbye.
Um, I mean, the other, I think the other kind of dovetail of the end of the movie is that the, they, as Chuck Klosterman points out in his article, they finally, uh, Lars and James finally find common ground, which is that they want to fire the therapist. Yes, 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 yes. And so that, that is kind of an amazing thing that they caught in the process is that, you know, they, they realize that this guy is, uh, I guess, you know, messing with their vibes and try or basically try to get him to it's messing funny. with their vibes at worst not do or yeah messing with their vibes at worst at best not really helping not really helping and they're paying him forty thousand dollars a month a month to not to not help uh and it's it's amazing the sort of timidity and relative um uh reservation they approach basically downscaling and then trying to fire him of yeah. just being like which I, I you know i'm familiar with it's it's a uh he, here's what I'll, I'll i will quote my uh old therapist the goal of a therapist is to not need a therapist you you yes. want to make yourself obsolete and then you've got phil who basically is like Oh, you guys, you got the band together. I want to facilitate the entry of the new bassist. I want to go on tour with you guys. Yes. I want to make sure you don't kill each other on tour. Like I, I'm not done here. And you telling me that you don't need me anymore. It just sounds like you, you've got trust issues. That yes, we still exactly. Need to work and that it like, is that nefarious? Yeah, yeah yeah i don't think anything truly f uh fucked up would have been done between them if they had you know he had insinuated them further but it just it is i think it's a case of getting so lost in the sauce with so much money and so again so like he kind of got the same kind of pressure that maybe fucked up metallica got to this guy of just being like I'm in the band. I'm part of the I'm, band. I'm, I'm part, part of, of this machine. org. I'm an employee. I'm an employee. Like yeah. I need to do I don't a good lose job. My job. I don't want to lose my job. And the, the, the weird, uh, the, the point where it was became clear that they didn't need him is when I guess it sounded like he was planning on moving to San Francisco. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, it's so messy. Another fun, just funny part about this is how is their outfits, uh, James Hatfield always dresses and looks exactly like who is that guy who was married to Sandra Bullock? Uh, Jesse James. I guess it would probably be more accurate to say Jesse James dresses exactly like James mm -hmm. Hatfield. Mm -hmm. But it is funny that he, he's always wearing a shirt for a mo motorcycle company. Uh, Lars Ulrich's hairstyle changes like six times during this documentary, yeah. like drastically. Yeah. Which is honestly kind of impressive just that it's growing out that, that long. Uh, you know, uh, Kirk Hammett all has like the, all the guitar player rings and shit. And yeah. then this fucking therapist is always there in like a canary yellow cable knit sweater. And I'm like, I, I get that you're like a therapist and like Metallica have agreed to let you around, but it's like you're Metallica's therapist. Have some self-respect. Yes. You know, wear, wear a sensible t-shirt or something. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, do, he does. He is sort of looking like Big Bird in there. Yeah. Or I guess not Big Bird. Uh, he's looking like a, uh, a Mr. Like Mr. Rogers, yeah. weird brother, Doctor Rogers. They they caught the kind of beginning and end of a strange relationship, which yeah. is I mean, especially it captures the the weird porousness of therapy, where if a therapist might feel less like a an employee or a boss, and yeah. more like a, a confidant. Uh, someone that you've emotionally connected with in some way. I think there maybe was a certain level of that, uh, but they they got rid of him. What's he up to now? I don't even know. I don't know. Hope, oh, I hope he's well. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I don't know if I have much more to say about this. Do you have any uh, other uh, details? Um, that I think that that's pretty much it for for my. The my one thing shit. I'd say that I think I read that you didn't was um. One of the directors, uh, I believe semi-recently, like this year, was on a podcast talking about this uh, this book and was recounting some of the... Movie? Like, get, or about the, the movie. And was talking about just getting it out and was recounting, screening it for the band the first time mm-hmm. and that the original mm. cut of it was like three hours long because they just wanted to like put everything in that they thought were thinking about using. They were screaming it for the band and the management. And the way he described it was that the band were all sitting in like each on like a different four corner of the room. Mm -hmm. And then the management was all huddled in the back and they screened it and it was like total silence the entire time. Mm -hmm. And they were just like sweating with the, the directors were like sweating bullets. They stop it. Lars and James like kind of nodded. We're like, all right. Well, I mean, all right. And then the management like huddle for a bit and then they come back and are start like giving them lists of things that they need to cut. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can't have this in. We don't want to have this in. This makes blank look bad. This mm-hmm. makes blank look bad. This makes us look bad. Uh, you know, can you take this out? And they start doing the negotiation around mm-hmm. this and they start going back and forth and the directors are listing out cuts and eventually it's James who steps in and is like, you know what guys? No. Uh, it's their movie. They made the movie. We agreed to it. The only way it's going to be real is if these guys get their cut of the movie. So either they release their cut or we don't release it at all. We do like, um, what is it? Cocksucker Blues, the the infamous Rolling Stones doc they like shelved forever. Uh, it's either either this is going to come out as under the director's vision or it's going to be Cocksucker Blues and we shelve it forever. Yeah. And that seems <laughs> ridiculous yeah. given this process. Yeah. So, uh, so... It's their cut or nothing. And then James walks out and then Lars just goes like, like, fuck yeah. Or like not like yeah. goes to the guys and like gives them a fuck of like, fuck. looks like you got your movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice. And it's, I think that that again displays the James growth of like, you know, I, I am okay with, with this vision of myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I, I, that makes total sense i think that it it is a respectable thing that they have done by allowing the movie to exist the way it has and as other uh friend of the pod ben ferkey uh said to me on twitter uh saint anger is like a movie soundtrack (laughs) yes it can be best understood as a movie soundtrack on its own you're like ah this is kind of whatever with the 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 sweatiness of the movie you're like okay i get like i get it it's an artistic statement Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i mean again i had always thought Going into this documentary, what I always heard is that this documentary is great for how bad and goofy it makes Metallica look. Mm-hmm. And coming out of it, I kind of think that this documentary is great for how like good and human it makes Metallica look. You yeah, know? Yeah. They, it might have been, I think, shocking at the time for people to see to the see gods of metal, the metal in therapy, in therapy and like being whiny and having like, yeah. feelings and squabbling, eating these like bad children. sandwiches. Yeah, but I think maybe this is more like 2021 mindset but it like i think it it's only a good thing that they did it and now every freaking i mean oh first of all no one i has there any been any other band that is willing to do do something like this something not not like this i mean that's what makes it so unique yeah and honestly from your point of 2021 mindset from 2021 mindset metallica self-improvement kings uh we stand we stand and, and I would say, yeah, every, now everyone is putting out a documentary about the making of their mm-hmm. album, and it's 
couched in a, th- a thought of realness, but it's so stage managed, yeah. so approved by the machine. It's it's not it's it, it, you know it is way more. Th- this is not propaganda, I would say. Versus, I think a lot of other people are putting yeah. that out now. So, if anyone wants to to dare to go as hard as these boys did, lay it out on the line, warts and all. Yeah. Seek and destroy. Seek and destroy. With that, let's move confidently into the end part of this episode. Before we move confidently, okay. can I just say that par- part of the way that they were able to release this the way they wanted to is that they bought that the album, the the label was paying for it, Electra, mm-hmm. and then. Electra was freaking out about the length and the cost and was like, okay, maybe we could turn this yeah, into a reality show. They saw something like show. 730 days on this or yeah. something like that. And uh, in response, in order to sort of wrest control over it and decide what to do with it, they paid like $4.3 million for it. I only bring this up to say, boy, oh boy, they have a lot of cash. They don't just have a lot of money. They have a lot of cash. They have a lot of cash. When uh, uh, Robert Trujillo signed on, they just they gave give him, him a million, million dollars just to join. Band, like I would say, I mean, I don't even know what bands today have a million dollars just sitting around, a- like Liquid, able to. But hand I mean, out. that all, that also again to the to the like Lars Napster thing of being like, you know, uh, when we were talking about the Woodstock '99 movie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, Mustaine being like. I don't know. Does James have enough money or does Lars have enough money? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of sarcastically. And the thing is, yes, he has a lot of money, but honestly, then they're not afraid to spend it on things that matter to them. And that I think that them. that is to defend very rich people for a second. Nice and important that they're like, we're signing a new guy that we want this to be a new dawn of this band. We want to show him good faith. Uh, we want to just give him flat out a million dollars to say you are a part of this you're thing. a part of the band like you're we're, we're giving you you know you're, yeah. you're buying into it and in i think that's like a pretty honorable thing to do and like buying the documentary i mean like they they spend a lot of their time in front of these cameras and if your record's like yeah i don't know if this is really gonna fly to be like to have seen this mm-hmm. and known what they look like in it and then put four million of their own do- dollars into being like this needs to be a thing. Yeah, respect, respect, Mu- respect. Yeah, right. We stand Metallica. I we was, love to see them. I was I was expecting to come out of that viewing feeling uh, like I was going to make fun of them, and I I I don't want to make fun of them at all. No, I mean a little bit Lars because he's such a funny <laughs> little baby, <laughs> little old Danish prince. I I don't think and I I would I would like to think that if any of them heard heard this what we said uh, about th- them on this episode that they would probably all be like at this point from the doc be like yes that's that's true and right and mm-hmm. like it is if it is hopefully something that they can look back on and and say that you know they're happy that this went out because it made them real people in the eyes of people it, it made them real people which they had to do at some point i would say they had to do it but in order to facilitate their their final I would say probably realistically their final form. Yeah. They had to become real people as opposed to just beer swilling, uh, yeah. uh, you know, tank top wearing, uh, metal bros. Yeah. 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 Hair swinging metal, bros. hair swinging metal bros. Now, now to we m- can move, move confidently, confidently to the end part of this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, well, this has been the 100th episode. Wow. Of and introducing. Thank you to everyone who has stuck with us. Who's listened to all these episodes. Mm hmm. Honestly, if you're out there and you've listened to all 100 episodes of And Introducing, please message us. I, I might say, we'll I might send you a gift. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we so we did the the uh, our pod could be your life series or we Podicano. 
uh, series in the spring, and that uh, that took a lot of our spoons uh, to get that out and to do that that consistently. And so I think we took a well-earned break, but we want to get back into the swing of things. I have mm-hmm. no idea, until I finish the President's Show, I have no idea how regularly these will come out, but certainly more than once a month. Yes. Let's say that. Yes. Um, and I know that also at the end of the We Potacano series, we said that we wanted to diverge from 80s rock. We didn't quite do this. We had to strike when the iron is hot that... <laughs> that um, some kind of monster was on Netflix because who knows when it could be taken off. Watch it while you can. Yes. Uh, and it just felt right because our first episode, you know, was on Duff McKagan, Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Like two shades of, of hard rock. So, uh, but we're, we're going to start figuring out uh, new stuff to cover yeah. uh, through the rest of the year and get back into the regular swing of things. Uh, if you have stuff that you think would be good episodes, as always, send it to uh, andintroducingpod at gmail.com. I've already gotten a bunch of, uh, of requests bunch of and submissions. Molly might start doing some like interview episodes as yeah. like solos. She- I did I did one of those with um, uh, the lead singer of the Jazz June, Andrew Lowe, if people caught that. As a little bonus between little the bonus. last and this one. And at, le- at least one person on Twitter said that the Jazz June is their favorite band. So uh, glad to hit that. I would say quad quadrant but it's really just one guy segment it's one guy (laughs) one guy does not a quadrant make but shout out to that one demographic i guess (laughs) in a certain respect uh but yeah that that'll more of that will probably be brewing eventually that was fun for me uh but also (laughs) i produced that episode oh yeah molly edited that episode i learned how to use audition please clap (laughs) thank you yeah so we're gonna be we're going to be putting more ups out. We're going to be taking it pretty easy, but you know, this, this is a semi-regular podcast uh, because again, podcasting is about having fun with your friends, having fun with your friends. And so we'll put these out when we have good fun friends to have fun with and good fun <laughs> ideas for episodes. Uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter. That's uh, at and intro pod mm-hmm. at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, find these as always on our SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod uh oh and i again um it's been dormant for a little bit we i was keeping it up dirt while we were doing the um Potacano series but i'll start posting there again uh we have a subreddit if you want to go and post episode ideas or just like weird clips from musicians or things that uh attended to any of the artists we've covered it's mm-hmm. uh reddit.com slash r slash and introducing um good post there uh, i Honestly, another genesis of this episode is somebody po- posted this Playboy interview yep. to the subreddit, and yep. I saw it, and it got that germ in my head yeah. of, oh, that might that would this, since we have a written thing for this, that would be a good way way to justify doing some kind of monster. Yeah, uh, listen to Hell of Presidents, listen to Infinite Cast, listen to uh, Chapo Trap House, uh, check out Molly's stuff on the Alternative, um, hey, hey. and as always, our lifestyle determines our death style. Our life, t- our lives. <laughs> Our life pod determines our death pod. <laughs> our pod style. Our, our life pod determines our death cast. <laughs> <laughs> our our yes, our our life pod determines our death cast. <laughs> uh, okay, bye bye. <laughs>